we're starting a new series uh, this weekend, and it's, uh, we're going to go through the book of Genesis. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this was I've been telling you that uh, an understanding of the Old Testament and certain books of the Old Testament is really uh, pretty important if you want to understand not only the Old Testament but the New Testament. Uh, one of the books that's really foundational is the book of Genesis. So I figured I'd put my money where my mouth was and start teaching through the book of Genesis uh, we're going to jump around. I, we're not going to jump around in a sense that we're going to jump from beginning to the end, but uh, we're going to spend more time in certain sections and then kind of put some sections together, some chapters together. But essentially what we want to do this weekend is look at the first uh, chapter, first really chapter one and a portion of chapter two. Uh, so Genesis is one of those books that if you get an understanding of it, it will make some of the passages you read in the, in the New Testament make a lot more sense because you'll have the context of what's going on there. There's a lot going on in the book of Genesis. Let me just give you a quick summary of what's taking place. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see God creating the heavens and the earth, creating the earth and creating man in his image, uh, a perfect environment. And essentially, I think that the message of Genesis 1 and 2 is that God created a perfect environment for man and God to dwell together. And that's what we see at the end of Genesis 2. In fact, in Genesis 3, we see the, where the fall comes in and what happens there. Well, that, that, that union uh, of man being in a perfect place with God now is broken. It's gone. It's, it's destroyed. It's, it's obliterated. Um, you see murder follow. You see a curse that goes upon the earth. In fact, in the book of Romans, it says that the earth, the creation, is groaning under the weight of the curse. So everything changed in, after Genesis 3, and we're living the results of that with natural disasters, with uh, people being, uh, we're all born with a, a sin nature, and, and we, we, we're not as bad as we could be, but uh, we, we can be pretty bad, right? Um, but then uh, we, you know, so Genesis is broken down into two sections, really of Genesis 1 through 11, and you have uh, four events. You have the creation of man, you have the fall of man, you have uh, creation, the tower, uh, creation, the fall, the flood, uh, the flood where God uh, basically destroys the earth, except for one family. Then you have a tower, uh, Genesis 11, where they build either a ziggurat or some sort of a tower of worship of God. Uh, but he, he, uh, he drives them apart because he drives their languages. So you spend 11 chapters basically talking about these four major events, and then the rest of the book, 12 through 50, is about four people. So you see that the emphasis of the book is really about these people. Who are these people? Well, the first one is the foundational one, and that's Abraham. And God, in Genesis 12, has, makes a, a, govern, a covenant or an agreement uh, with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. Um, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We don't know how that's going to happen, but he says it. So we follow the life of Abraham. We follow his son Isaac. We follow Jacob. And then we, we end with Joseph. And Joseph is the last person that we see uh, of the four personalities in the book of Genesis. At the end of the book of Genesis, we find the nation of Israel is not really a nation. It's really only 70, roughly 70 people. And they're, they're guests in Egypt. Now, when we come to Exodus 400 years later, uh, the book of Exodus, we find they're no, no longer guests, they're prisoners. And they're much larger then, but they're, they're prisoners. That's essentially the uh, outline of the book of Genesis. 
Now, uh, we want to focus on Genesis 1 and 2, and most people know the first verse of, of Genesis, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth, right? And so most people know that. Very interestingly, in John, in his gospel, basically he is looking back, I believe, to Genesis 1-1. Because what does John say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So it's almost like he's... He's doing a, almost a Genesis. And it's interesting, John doesn't have a birth narrative. He doesn't go to talk about the birth of Jesus. He jumps right into this uh, whole idea that he's the creator, he's the sustainer of the universe. There's a number of theories, and this is where the first couple chapters of Genesis, I think, are marred with a lot of controversy. Um, there's a duff, couple of different views that are you know, held today in uh, and it really comes down to this. It really comes down to the question of answering, is the earth early or is the earth old? Is it, is it an early earth? In other words, is the earth young or is the earth old? Is the earth uh, 6,000 to 10,000 years old or is it billions of years old? Now, science would say it's an old earth. Uh, and those with a young earth school would say, no, it's younger. So what are those views? Let me just uh, bring those out. So the younger school basically says the seven days of creation are literal seven days, consecutive days, where God created the heavens and the earth. Now, could God do that? Absolutely. No question about it. Is that what, God's, is, that what is happening here? So you have people like Ken Ham with the Creation Museum that basically you probably, maybe some of you heard about the debate or you saw the debate where he and Ken, Ken Ham and... Uh, science guy what's bill nye the science guy kind of debated and it really wasn't a debate because it seemed like they're talking two different languages so the question is um is the earth young or maybe that's not even the question but that's the debate that they're having they're the, they're saying the earth is young now the problem with that view is there's some problems with that view but by the way this is held by many many people with an evangelical church it's a very common view maybe it's the majority view um, the problem with that view is if you hold that view, you immediately are in conflict with what we know with, with science. So you have to say, well, God created the universe with the apparent age. It looks to be that much, but it's really not. You know, uh, there's other problems, but that's uh, one of the problems. Uh, another view that's held by Christians is what's called the old earth view. And they would take Genesis, uh, the first seven days of Genesis, and they would say, well, it's not really uh, 24-hour days. They could be, there could be periods of time, seven periods of time. They don't have to be. So they take the, the, the day very figuratively. And they say it, it can represent eras of time. The earth is billions of years old. So there's really no conflict between, uh, between science and the Bible. The problem with that view is it really plays fairly loose with what's going on in Genesis 1 and 2. I want to give you a different view that I think really represents what's taking place in the book of, of, of Genesis. I believe that there's another way that you can approach this. I believe that uh, as you look at you look at the specific, and we're going to do this in a minute, but let me just tell you where we're going and then we'll get there. I believe if you look at the first three days of creation, they're doing something, and the second three are doing something. The first three days are talking about created environments, and the second three days are fulfilling those environments. So, for instance, day one is what God created uh, the light, right? Let there be light. And there was light. Now, God wasn't essentially just creating light. 
He was creating time. He was creating days, right? Because it says, let the light, we'll see that in a minute. So he's creating an atmosphere where there's time, there's seasons. And so day one corresponds with day four. What did he do with day four? He populated the heavens, right, with the sun and the moon and the stars. You go to day two, and what's God doing? He's separating the atmosphere, the upper waters from the lower waters. And so he's creating atmosphere or weather. And so what, what does he do on uh, uh, day five? Well, on day five, what did he do? He populates the, he- the heavens with the birds and, and ocean life, right? You go to day three, and God is separating the waters. He's creating dry land. And what does he do on day six? He populates the dry land. So he creates an environment on days one, two, and three. And on days four, five, and six, he populates them. So I'm going to show you that. But uh, the reason I want you to see that is because I think that the the old earth and the young earth school are asking the wrong questions about Genesis 1 and 2. I believe that they're asking the question, how did God do this? I mean, think about it. There's not a lot of explanation. It says, God said, let there be light. Well, how? How did that happen? It doesn't explain. It just says God said it. Well, I get God said it. That settles it. You know, I get all that, but it doesn't give an explanation. My point is that's the point. God's not telling us how he did it. He's telling us why he did it. He's telling us why he created this. He's showing us why he, what he's trying to do. And essentially what I think Genesis 1 and 2 is about is showing that God has created a perfect environment where he and man can dwell together because God wants to be with man. I think that's the point. So the book of Genesis, I believe, is showing us why God brought everything into being, not how. Uh, Genesis, uh, you know, Genesis is clear that it is God who is behind everything. He is the creator and sustainer of everything. There's no debate about that. Here's uh, the other thing, too, is that Genesis was, I, I believe, and I, I think it's absolutely true, that Genesis was never intended to be a science book or a history book. And the moment you try to say, okay, I'm going to try to prove from the book of Genesis what God scientifically may have done, it, there, we run, run into a problem. And, you know, here's the problem. Science, very early on, the church and science were, very, were tied together. There was not a discipline of science and a discipline of philosophy or religion. They were put together. And, you know, the knock the church gets is, well, the church has been wrong before. Like, well, they'll say things like people will say, well, the earth, the church thought at one point that the earth was the center of the universe. Well, you know, we know it's not the center of the universe. Uh, Some people who have teenage daughters know that their daughter thinks that they're the center of the the universe. That's a cheap shot because I don't even have any daughters, so... Or, you know, the earth is flat, right? You know, that, you know. So the church gets kind of knocked saying, you know, you believe this, you thought that scripture taught that. And, but you know what? Science has also been wrong in a sense. Uh, there was this very smart guy I heard, he was pretty smart, Albert Einstein, and he believed that we lived in a static universe. In other words, that this, the universe wasn't moving at all, it was, it was static. Well, uh, Edwin Hubble basically determined. Uh, scientifically, that uh, the earth not only is moving, but it's accelerating. So uh, science can be wrong, too. You know, So that's uh, part of uh, what we learned. I mean, you look at medicine. Sometimes we see things that were done early on were pretty primitive and actually pretty detrimental to the patient, and now it's been discovered that... So we're growing, right? So Genesis, again, is showing us why God created the universe, the earth, and man. 
and how he intended it to function. So what I want to do now is I want to jump into the scripture and I want to show you what I just tried to share the outline of. All right. So uh, pretty easy to find Genesis chapter one. It's the first book in your Bible. It's on page three. If you look in the chair Bible, you can follow along with me. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see it yourself. My hope is that as we go through this, you'll say, yeah, that makes sense. That's reasonable. It's thoughtful. It seems like that's encouraging to me to understand that the Bible is, 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 is not in conflict with my faith. Science isn't necessarily. Now, when science goes further than it needs to, it, it is. But uh, essentially, uh, I'm, I'm making the, the proposition here that science, uh, that the Bible isn't trying to speak in areas of science. Genesis chapter 1, verse uh, 3. This is day one. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light. Notice what he does. He calls it day. He calls. So he's not just creating light. He's creating a period of time. He's creating day. He, 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 uh, he created uh, day, he called the light day, and he called darkness, he called the night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the, the one day. So well, how do we measure time? We say, well, I'll see you tomorrow. Well, how do we know it's tomorrow? Well, light and day. <laughs> so now what God is creating is he's creating time because he's creating days. He's creating seasons. He's creating time. So on day one, he creates a day and night, a measure of time. And uh, Genesis 1 isn't really a, a concern about the creation of light as much as the function of light. What is light doing? It's creating day and night. All right? So again, he's created a, an environment where there is time. Secondly, we go to day 2. Go to verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and separate the waters uh, from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. So it seems as though what he's doing on day two is he's created this perfect environment, but he's creating a new space where there's waters up above and atmosphere up above and waters down below. He's going to separate those waters in a little bit. But what he's creating here is he's creating weather. Think about that. When the weatherman talks about the weather, what are the two things he talks about? He talks about the atmosphere. And he talks about the oceans, right? The oceans have a a, a real effect on weather. So what God is doing is he's creating an environment for man to dwell. Look at day three. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place uh, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land uh, earth and gathering of the waters he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout with vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit and trees on the earth, bearing fruit and all their kind, uh, seeds after their kind. And it was so the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning a third day. So uh, day three, what does God do? He separates the waters from the land. And now, uh, because he has sun, because he has rain, because he has weather, now we have vegetation sprouting up on the land, right? He's preparing an environment for mankind to be placed. So now here we have. We have the three, we have the three areas. We have the, uh, the area of the, the uh, sky. Uh, we have the waters separated, the atmospheric, and we have the earth. 
So if my theory is right, on day four, we should see where God created the heavens. We should see him populating, putting the planets and the sun and all that. So let's look at day four. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be signs for the seasons and for days and years and let them there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God had two great lights, the greater light, notice, to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night to separate the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day so on day four God populates our the solar system he created on day one and now we see the lights that will control time day and night the years and the seasons so God has now created a space and now he's populated it so what did he do on day uh, two day two he separated the waters the upper and lower waters so we had the atmosphere and we have the ocean so we didn't think all right, if this theory is right, then he should be populating the skies and he should be populating the oceans. So what does he do? Day 5, Genesis 1.20, Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth and the, in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and everything, uh, every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind. And every winged bird of its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning on the fifth day. So he's doing this. He's creating spaces, days one, two, and three. And then he's populating those spaces. So what did he do on day three? On day three, he separated the oceans to create land. So we would expect him to populate the land. What does he do on day 6, verse 24? Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth and their, after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. So God populates with animal life, right? He's populating it. But he doesn't just stop there. Now we come to the crescendo of creation, right? This is the crescendo. This is, this is why he's doing all of this. It's found in verses 26 through 27. And God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, him male and female. He created him. So finally, God places man in this perfect environment where there, is, there, is, there, are, there are day and night seasons. There, are, there is weather. There is rain. There is sun. There are crops. There are animals. See, he can live there. He can sustain life. It's a perfect environment for man to live. So God places man in this perfect environment. Now, the interesting thing about it, it says not only is man placed there, but he is in the image of God. Can I just say one quick thing about the image of God on man? And I could do a whole series on it. But essentially, it comes down to this, that every human being that you come in contact with carries the image of God. 
which means they need to be treated with dignity and respect. Now, is that image marred because of sin, as we'll see in Genesis 3? Yes, absolutely. But do they still bear the image of God? Sure they do. They absolutely do. And the minute that you begin to uh, not show dignity, not show respect, you are not showing dignity and respect to God's creation, God's image. So I, I, I challenge you to be very careful about that. And to me, that means... He, when we talk about uh, rights for all races and things like that, that's just all tied up into that, created in the image of God. So let's go to day seven, because day seven, is for some people, is kind of a, I don't get it. So day seven, we know, is uh, the Sabbath. Uh, let me read it to you. <clears throat> this is chapter two, verse one. That thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and their hosts by the seventh day, uh, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had done, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all of his work, which God created and made. Now, it's hard for us as human beings not to think that when God rested, it meant he was tired. But we know that's theologically and biblically absolutely wrong, because God doesn't get tired. God is uh, all-powerful, so he doesn't get tired. He never wears down. He never gets tired. He never has a bad day. He never, you know, goes, oh, not now, you know. <laughs> he, he doesn't have that. So uh, so what does it mean? <laughs> because we always struggle with that, and we say, well, we think it's important, and we think it's significant, but we're not sure why it is. So you're trying to figure out, okay, why is this significant? Why is this important? Well, here's the reason. Picture this. If we think of creation as God's creating a factory, and on days one through three, he's creating the superstructure. He's putting the factory up. He's adding, you know, putting the electric to it. He's, he's getting the machines that are whatever it's going to, widgets it's going to make. And he's getting it all put together. So he's doing that on days one through three. But then you come to days four, five, and six. And in day four, five, and six, the employees are coming in. The, the, everything that they need to get things done, you know, the, the, the raw materials and the employees and everything's going on. So if you look at day seven and you say, what's going on in day seven? Well, on day seven, what God is doing is he's pulling the lever and putting the factory into motion. He's watching his creation. He's seeing it function the way he designed it. But he's not doing that. It's even better than that. What God is doing on day seven is he's created a perfect environment not only for man to dwell, but he's created an environment for him to dwell. Because what is going to happen is God is going to dwell with man, and he does. We see that in Genesis. He dwells with man because it becomes his sanctuary. And now God is with man. And that's what God is creating. He's not just creating an environment for man. He's creating an environment for man and God to dwell. And that's what they did until Genesis 3. Do you remember what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? What did God say about the garden and the, this perfect environment? He said, you, you need to get out of here. And I'll put angels to guard this place. You'll never be back here again. You lost it. So, so the whole point of Day seven is not God resting because he's weary. It's God living in his environment with us, with man. That's essentially what his desire was. His, his ultimate desire, and this is just mind-blowing, that after he creates the heavens and the earth, after he creates a perfect environment, his desire is to be with man. So he doesn't tell us how he did it. 
That's not the point of Genesis 1-2. It's to tell us why he did it. He did it to create a perfect environment so he could dwell with us. That's why he did it. Genesis uh, 3 is going to show us the, the, the danger, the damage that was done. So what I want you to do is this. I want you to jump to the last book of the Bible, uh, Revelation chapter 21 for a moment. So here's what I'm saying. I'm saying this young earth, old earth debate is to me, you can debate it all you want. You can take sides, and if you fall within one of those schools, God bless you. I think you're missing the point of Genesis 1 and 2. I think the point of Genesis 1 and 2 is that God is telling us why he created the heavens and the earth the way he did and what, what was the purpose. And the purpose was that we would be that we would be in a perfect environment, that Adam and Eve would be in a perfect environment, that, so that God could dwell with them, could walk with them. That's what he desired. Now, we know that in the book of Revelation, that's God bringing his creation back, fixing things, setting things that are wrong right. Right? So go to, go to uh, that, the, the last part, the last word that God has on what's going to happen and, and how he's going to put things back together. Notice this. Revelation 21.1. <clears throat> this is the last book of the Bible, and it's the second to last chapter, Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, here it is. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was gone. It was also gone. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now what? Among his people. You see what's going on here? It's the same thing in Genesis 1 and 2. God creates a perfect environment for, he, for him to dwell with his people. What's he doing in Revelation? He's bringing that to back. That's essentially what he's doing. So this is, this is essentially why. And, and you see both ends of, of Scripture basically talking about this whole thing that, uh, that God has desired all along, and that is to be with us. We come to the book of Exodus, and what does God do? God creates a tabernacle where he can dwell in the middle of the camp with his people, right? We see the temple. What was the temple? The temple was God's presence in the midst of Israel, right? Now in the New Testament, we know that the, the, Jesus says, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to leave another helper, another of the same kind. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit, and he will dwell not with you, but in you. I will be with you. All through Scripture, that's what God has desired, to be with us. And so God is doing in Genesis 1 and 2, He's created a perfect environment so that we could be with Him, that we could walk with Him. And so we come to Genesis 3, and Adam and Eve have to decide, do we really want to be with God, or do we want to take things on our own? And they took things on their own, and they lost it for everyone, and they lost the presence of God. But we come to Revelation 21 where God sets it right and says, now a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem like a bride. And now God will be with his people. It's his desire. It's always been his desire. Let's draw a few lessons from this. The most important verse in the Bible, really, when, you, when it all comes down to it, is this. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created heavens and the earth. Why is that the most important verse? Because it comes down to whether we believe that or not. The Bible clearly says that God created the heavens and the earth. 
that it, he, he wasn't taxed by it. There's nothing in the passage that says it was wearisome, it was troublesome. It, we had, he had these, 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 these problems that he couldn't get past. That, what am I going to do now? It was none of that. It's just, I did this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Created a perfect environment. Love it. Good. Great. Man. Great. Me. Great. Here we are. You know, it's just not a struggle for him. It's just, it says God said, let there be light. It was like, I don't know how that happened, but he did it. The point is this. If I believe that, and I do, then there's two things. Number one, every other miracle in the Bible is child's play, right? Because a resurrection is not a really hard thing when you created the heavens and the earth, right? When you created all life, a resurrection is pretty easy. Now, if you just did a resurrection and then you had to create the universe, well, that, you know, maybe I could... But we're going from greater to lesser here. We're going to, I created everything, I can give life, right? Because I did it for everything, right? So, so every other miracle in the Bible, after you get past Genesis 1 and 2, if you truly believe that God did it, and I believe it is, and I believe that's what the Bible's teaching, every other miracle's not a problem. Science can't deal with miracles. It's not in their, it's not in their wheelhouse. But more importantly, this, if I believe it, then every other problem that I have in my life really isn't that significant. Because God already knows it, and God already has a plan. And, and here's the second thing we see. Not only that, if we, it, it, Genesis 1 and 1, because Genesis 1 and 1, I believe is true, most of our problems, which seem so huge, are not so huge because God understands and knows and can take care of. He knows you, what you're going through. And I believe because of this account of creation, because it's true, not only is he all-powerful, but he cares for you. See, the point is he didn't create a universe, and he didn't create the earth, and he didn't create everything so that we could just kind of run around and he could watch us like an ant farm. Right? It, he wasn't doing that. He was saying, I'm coming to be with you. I want to be with you. I care. And, and you, you say, well, well, how do I know? How do I know? Well, it, 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 not only that, when you think about it, when you look at the days of creation, every day has a purpose. Every day. You know, day one, let there be light. Why? why? So there'll be time. So there'll be seasons. Day two, you know, the separation. So there'll be weather, right? Day three, uh, he's separating the ground. So there'll be food, you know, plants and food. And, and then he populates them. Everything is done with a purpose. And he creates us, not, not just with the rest of creation, but he creates us above the rest of creation because he says you will be in charge of, you will be the caretaker of all creation. In other words, you have a purpose, you have a plan. I have a plan for you and I have a purpose for you. And I just want to say to you that God has a purpose and a plan for every one of you. And our goal in life is to say, what is that, God? What is it that you want me to do? Because if I'm doing what you called me to do, I will be what you meant me to be. And if I'm what you meant me to be, then I'm going to have the most fulfilling, joyful life that I could ever imagine. Last, I want to say this. You may be here and you say, but, I, you know, I, I, this all sounds good. God is all powerful and God created it and all this other stuff. But I just don't know whether he cares. Now, I, I mentioned John's gospel a while ago and I said, John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. John goes on to identify Jesus as 
the word. And, and other passages in Scripture say that not it was the second person of the Trinity that was ultimately involved in the creation of the universe. That not only creates Jesus created the universe, but he sustains it. And I know he's God in the Trinity. I don't get all that. But the point is, the one who created the heavens and the earth got off of his throne and came to earth. And if you want to know how fully invested God is in you, Realize that the creator of the universe, the one who wants to be with you, the one who knew the only way that he could be with you is to come from heaven to earth, climb up on a cross and die for you and give his life for you. He's absolutely invested, fully invested in you. He wants to be with you. He has a purpose for your life. And as you give your life to him, you will find life. You will find joy. You will find purpose. You will find meaning. You will find all. Do I think that science is in conflict with the book of Genesis? No, I don't. Because I think they're talking about two different things. Genesis 1 and 2 is saying God created a perfect environment because he wants to be with you. Revelation says he's going to remake that environment so he could be with you. And here's the best part. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God is not only with you, he dwells within you. He wants to be with you. He loves you. He has a purpose for your life. You're not an accident. And whether you didn't have parents, you didn't have that, you have a Father in heaven that loves you and is fully invested in you. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Genesis. Thank you for uh, the first couple chapters that show us why uh, you created this universe and the, the, the purpose of it. Uh, what an amazing purpose that you desire to be with us. And thank you, Father, that one day you will bring the universe uh, around. And uh, there will be a day where everyone will bow to Jesus. And there will be uh, a new heavens and a new earth. And we will be with you. Until that day, Father, we live uh, on, under the consequences of the fall. And we live in a fallen world with fallen people. And there's a room full of fallen people here right now. It may be that some of us doubt your love and concern for us. And when we do that, Father, may we look to the cross and realize you could not be more fully invested because you gave your son. And Jesus could not be more fully invested because he gave his life. I pray that everyone here would place their trust and faith, not in themselves, not in their uh, affiliation with a church or a tradition, but completely in Christ. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If there are people here today, Father, who have never called upon the Lord, may today be the day they will say, Jesus, I don't know if I've ever called upon you. I've never, I don't know if I've ever asked you to forgive my sins and to take my life, but uh, I, I do that right now. Father, for the rest of us who have, might have done that, may we walk out with our heads held high, knowing that we are loved and that you have a plan and a purpose not only for this universe, but for us. For that, we're grateful and thankful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.